And I don't want to try to sell you anything. I want to tell you about the, one of the greatest promises we have in the Bible. From here we'll go to John 1, and then finally to Revelation 20 and 21 and 22. You see this a lot on Christmas cards. For unto us a child is born. And all too often, uh, that's where a lot of people quit. Some, some Christmas cards will quit right there. That's missing the best part. Unto us a son is given. You notice the colon there. We're going to shift now. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Uh, the history of man's governance on the earth has ultimately been that of failure and disaster. Man did not properly govern himself in the days of Noah. God sent the great flood destroyed that civilization. Sodom and Gomorrah were given over to total sexual depravity and God burned those cities to the ground with everybody in them. On and on I go with examples of failed governance, of man's failure to govern himself. Our first president, George Washington, reminded us that it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. For proof of that, just look around you. Because today men have thrown out the Bible, the King James Version, the right Bible, they've thrown that out, and they've tried to spread anything and everything else you can imagine, some things you wished you'd never heard of. And it's all going to be a failure. It will finally come to a culmination, Revelation 19. We may stop there for have time. We know what finally happens when God splits the eastern sky. It's also referenced to Revelation chapter 1 where it says, The kindreds, that is the families of the earth, shall wail because of him. Think back to Genesis 10 and 11 where the tongues were divided at the Tower of Babel. And these families went out to populate the earth like God had told them to in the first place, right after Noah and his sons got off the ark. After all of that time, after all this time, they've all rebelled against Christ, rebelled against his gospel. And they've done everything but the right thing. Some years ago, a song called I'll Do It, I Did It My Way went platinum. I think Elvis Presley and, and Frank Sinatra both took that thing to platinum on the charts resonated with a lot of people who bragged that they lived life their way and did what they wanted to do. But where that ends up at is going to be a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. Those folks who do it their way, die in their sins, go to a place called hell, they burn there for a thousand or plus years with the rich man who will be crying, who's down there crying for somebody to dip, my, dip their finger in water that they may cool my tongue. Uh, they'll finally turn up before Christ himself. And ultimately the Great White Throne is going to be a sentencing hearing. Your guilt or innocence not determined there, just as the Christian who will also be judged by the way, his salvation will not be determined by Christ, but rather his degree of rewards in heaven. So coming back to Isaiah 9, 6, the government shall be upon his shoulder. There will come a time when the government will be on his shoulder. It's clearly not there today. It's on the shoulders of foolish and wicked men. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Notice the capitals here in W. In wonderful, the capital scene counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I drove past a church house one time and it had this little sign on the marquee. It said, In O Christ, in O Peace. Maybe you've seen something like this. You know what the next two lines were K N O W Christ, K N O W Peace. No Christ, no peace. We have no Christ in our world today. His name is used as a curse word, it's thrown in the mud and stomped on. Uh, the name of no other God gets treated the way the name of Christ does. Buddha, Allah, Muhammad, uh, Elvis Presley, for all that matters. But the name of Christ is the name that gets thrown in the mud, gets thrown in the dirt and stomped on. The wonderful, count, wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Notice, no, no, not a mighty God, the mighty God. This is going to be the same Christ spoken of in John 1. We'll come to it in a little bit. 
that word that became flesh and dwelt among us, that word that was existent with Christ in heaven throughout all eternity past, and, and etern uh, the present now, and in eternity to come. The Son was co-equal with the Father. Some groups teach that the Son started with the babe in the manger. No, no, no. That's when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But that word has been there all along. Notice the everlasting Father, even though we're talking of the Son here, he has been a father to many fatherless people, and of course, the Prince of Peace. And again, it doesn't say a Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace. There's only one Prince of Peace out here, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can bring peace. People have tried everything else that they can. They look to men, they look to governments, they look to aliens and UFOs. Some people think our space brothers will land in flying saucers and save us from ourselves. No. They look for everything but the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now stop and think about it. The earthly governments always increase, but do they bring more peace? No, they bring more noise and destruction, if anything. And finally collapse into the weight of their own, uh, of their own failures and, and corruption. But this government will be different. You see, Christ is perfect. He's holy. Once in a while you hear somebody say, if there's a God and if there's a heaven, I'll buy my way. You ever hear something like that? Uh, no, you won't. Christ isn't for sale. Christ is not on the take. Earthly politicians are, but not Christ. And it's a dangerous delusion that a lot of people have. There will be no end of his government. There will not come a time when the government of Christ will fail. We study the history of, say, the Roman Empire, for example. It rose, it flourished. At the time of Christ, it dominated Europe and the Middle East. But what happened to the Roman Empire? It became corrupt. It became weak. It finally divided into two empires. They had one emperor in the West, one in the East, and the Western Empire fell. And later, the Eastern Empire would finally fall, too. All earthly empires have one thing in common. They all fall. Uh, same thing for the United States of America. If the Lord tarries, we will see this nation fall. What will take its place? Not for sure, but ultimately it will be the reign of the Antichrist. For you see, the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. We see this happening right in front of our eyes with the United States. The United States is being turned into hell because we turned our back on God. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. It will be an orderly kingdom. The nations of this world today are disorderly. They are plagued by crime, violence, uh, political corruption, political tyranny. All manner of coups are pulled, soft coups, hard coups, bloody coups. Uh, somebody supposedly nearly tried to overthrow Putin last week in Russia. And that's just one example of many, many we could name of the disordered and disorganized kingdoms of this world. The Antichrist, in fact, will be the man of lawlessness, not a man of laws. He will be a lawless man who will do whatever he thinks he can get away with until Christ comes and puts him in the false prophet into the lake of fire. And to establish it with judgment and with justice. This is how Christ will establish his kingdom, his millennial kingdom, when he splits the, splits the eastern sky. He splits the eastern sky, and he comes to take over this world. Uh, he'll establish judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, uh, it will never end. And notice this last phrase here. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Maybe you've heard something like this. Uh, we'll put Christians in the courthouse. Then we'll take over the state house in Jeff City and finally take over the White House in Washington, D.C., and make this world such a wonderful place where you stand the keys over to Christ when he comes. That's perfectly backwards. That's not going to happen. It's going to get worse, not better. 
if Christ, indeed, if Christ says if, those, if these days, the end times were not shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Man would destroy himself. Man would possibly destroy all life on the earth. I suspect that's where they were in the days of Noah. If God had not sent the flood, they would have destroyed themselves anyway. So the flood was actually a mercy in that regard. Thus, by the, in so doing, Noah and his family would have been were saved. The animals were saved. And human civilization could restart after the flood. I want to come now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Again, a passage you often hear at Christmas time. But as our sixth president reminded us, the 4th of July and Christmas Day are the two most blessed days on the calendar. And they're the most blessed because of Christ, not the Mass. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Thinking back to Genesis 1.1. You know, in the, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It was that word that did that. That word that was spoken that created the universe in the first place. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the true creator. Once in a while an individual will say, look what I created in my in my workshop or something to that effect. No, you didn't create anything. You took a piece of wood and hopefully made something nice, at, nice out of it, a chair to sit in, a uh, pulpit to stand behind or whatever, but you didn't create that. No one created this pulpit. God created the trees that grew. Men cut down the trees and sawed up into, into boards and, and nailed them into a pulpit. And without him was not anything made that was made. If, if it's here, Christ made it one way or the other. The chairs you sit in, uh, whatever else. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Notice again, it is always the light of men, not a light. There are not many ways to get to heaven. You've heard that thing. There's many ways to go to St. Louis, some to go up I-44, up some up I-55, that sort of thing. No. There are many ways, all right, but they go to the wrong hub if you want to go there. Now, the one way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Uh, the people out here in the world don't understand why we're in here this morning. They don't understand why we didn't stay up and have some big, you know, drunken blowout last night. Why we're not home all hungover and, hungover and, and sick this morning. Because they don't have Christ as their Lord and Savior. The things of this world soon pass away. Verse 6 tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That's what we are to do today, be a witness of that light. We're not the light. I didn't die for anyone's sins, neither anyone else here. But we are to be a witness of that light. John 1, 9, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Christ created this world. All the plants and animals were familiar with Genesis 1 and 2 how God created the earth, and at the end of creation week, what did he say? It was very good. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. It is not, that is not said of the animals, by the way. Much as I love my little dachshund, he's not a living soul. But you are. And Christ came to die for the sins of mankind, for you and I. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You see, when Christ even came to the Jews, they rejected him. He was the Messiah they'd been looking for for thousands of years. That Messiah first promised way back in Genesis chapter 3. 
when uh, Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, God didn't leave them with no hope. He didn't tell Adam and Eve, well, I'm finished. You messed up. I'm finished with you. Go away. Go out and make, do the best you can. No. Christ said, I'm going to have to put you out of the garden for your own good. And what they said about the tree of life, if man was in a state of sin but kept partaking of the tree of life, he'd always live in sin for thousands of years. That was actually a mercy when God put Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. But he also gave them a promise that someday the seed of the woman would overcome the seed of the serpent. Thou shalt bruise his head and he shall bruise thy heel, as he'll stomp the head of the serpent. And someday Christ will have all enemies under his feet. Uh, they'll be our enemies too, by the way. You're saved, you have the mind of Christ. You're saved, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, they'll be under your feet too. But the Jews did not receive Christ by and large. There were individuals, yes. But as a whole, the Jews broke, I believe it was 19 of their own laws to crucify Christ. Yeah, extra constitutional laws, not anything new. Old it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you're saved, Jesus Christ saved you. It wasn't anything you did. And men have been calling on the name of the Lord since Genesis 4, 26, I believe it is. That's the first place you read in the Bible where men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And men like Enoch, for example, and Noah, and Lamech, who said that Noah's birth gave us comfort concerning our labor in the earth. So men have always called upon the name of the Lord. And when they called upon him in, in true sincerity, he would save them. He'll do that today. If you pray the sinner's prayer, it does not be something eloquent or grammatically correct, but it must be true and from the heart. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Verse 14, this is beautiful. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is what, this is what the babe in the manger was about. That was when the word became flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what Christ did. He came in grace and he came in truth. I want to look now to Second Thessalonians chapter 4, a familiar passage, but one I dare say we'd never get tired of. Make up First Thessalonians. My mistake. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. Aren't you glad God preserved his word and not me? First Thessalonians 4, 13. Uh, we saw when a loved one dies, we can think of several who used to be here, meet with us. They don't meet with us anymore. They've gone on to heaven. First Thessalonians 4, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Doesn't say you don't sorrow when somebody dies. But if they're saved, they went to heaven. We know we're going to, they're going to be in a better place. The next time we see Brother Russell, he won't be sick. The next time we see Brother Han, he won't have cancer. On and on I can go. Of all those that we know who have gone before us in the faith, they'll have a glorified body and know no sin. You see, somebody asked the question, are we free to sin in heaven? No, we're free from sin in heaven. That's what true freedom is. Now, I think it's something we miss in this country. In America, we think we're free to do whatever we want. No, no, no. We're free to do that which is right. That's what the millennial reign of Christ will be about, which we may get to today. And that's certainly what his eternal kingdom is going to be about. In both cases, the government will be on his shoulder. You'll be free to do that which is right. 1 Thessalonians 4. We come down to verse 14 now. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those whose bodies sleep in the cemetery somewhere, their souls are in heaven today, and I don't think they sleep up there. But, but the body will be resurrected uh, in a glorified body. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That is, we won't stop them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. All those who've died, already gone ahead of us in physical death, they'll rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll never be separated again. How's that old song go? There'll be no sad farewells up there. Farewell's always a sad thing here. Somebody goes, moves away to another part of the country or something like that, or maybe you move to another part of the country and, you, and there are sad farewells. That neighbor you was good friends with won't be there anymore. And what does the Lord say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And if we ever needed comfort, it is in this day and age. Uh, we lament the corrupt and fallen state of our own government, our fortified elections, on and on I can go. But listen, we go, listen, there's one election you can win. I think Billy Sunday put this example out. Christ votes for you to go to heaven. Satan votes for you to go to hell. You cast the deciding vote. If you cast the vote, if you cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, you voted to go to heaven. Well, guess what? Satan got outvoted. And he can't hack that election. He can't steal it or anything else. For you're in the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son, John 10, 28 through 30, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. And no, you can't get yourself out either. And if you do want out, you're not in. All righty. Let us go now to... Jude, the book of Jude, chapter 1. Jude chapter 1, verse 14. This, pro this promise, this day that Christ would come that second time to finally set everything right, right that was wrong with the world was given even before the flood. They knew that glorious day of his second coming was going to arrive. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. That's plural. And what does he come for? To execute judgment upon all. And, all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. I believe this will be the culmination of the tribulation period when the beast and the false prophet shall gather the armies of the earth together to fight Christ there at the valley of Armageddon. And what will happen? Christ will utterly destroy those armies. And of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. People like, oh, say, Madeline Murray O'Hare. She made many hard speeches against Christ all the days of her life. She knows better now. But it's probably too late to do her any good. There's no record she ever got saved or anything. She was murdered at a little place called Cross Timbers, Texas. Looked up on Google Maps one time. There's not much of anything there. Not much timber or anything. That's where she met her, met her end. And so far as we know, uh, she's in hell today. Today she would repent, no doubt, if she could, but she can't. Jude goes on to write, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. And we see that a lot today, all these pride parades and pride this and pride that, just people walking after their own lust. But that follows them, that always leads to a place called hell. And their mouth speaking great, speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. I was watching a video from Answers in Genesis. You know what I'm talking about? The Ark Encounter in Kentucky. They got a, 
was watching one of their videos on uh, YouTube last night, and they took a picture of a car parked in their parking lot. You may have seen the fish symbol on some cars, the Christian symbol. Well, this thing had the flying spaghetti monster symbol, making fun of God. That's what the atheists say they believe in, the flying spaghetti monster. And they actually had one of these things on the back of their car, making fun of God and Christianity. Well, someday they'll give an account of their deeds. All their great swelling words, all this flying spaghetti monsters, all this other nonsense that they have. They'll give an account to Christ himself someday. Well, just briefly, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. We're headed to Revelation 21, if we can get there in time. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds and his families of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. This is when Christ splits the eastern sky. Everyone will see him. And I don't just think it will be on TV. That might be true. But I think they'll just see him in the sky. God created light. He can bend it however he wants. So everyone can see him coming at once. And they and they will all recognize him. Do you ever wonder about that? Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said whenever he cast the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace? He said, did we not cast three people into the furnace? And behold, I see four, and the fourth is like unto who? The Son of God. How did a pagan ruler recognize the Son of God? Did you ever wonder about that? I personally, my, just my opinion, I think it's already downloaded up here. You've already got a file. It's not active yet. But whenever you first see Jesus, you'll know exactly who he is. You know, he won't have long flowing hair like all the pictures show. Revelation 1 gives us a better picture of how he has, has short hair. Hair white, and it's going to be white like wool. But we'll recognize him. Nebuchadnezzar recognized Jesus in the fiery furnace. These people recognize Jesus when he splits the eastern sky. And when he comes this time, he's not coming as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. I'm basically giving you a lot of scripture this morning because that's what you need anyway. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, white symbol, symbolic of God's purity. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and true. And again, you see the capital letters of faithful and true, just like we saw in John chapter, Isaiah chapter 9, yeah. Whenever we saw he was wonderful, counselor, the mighty king, the capital letters. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. People have read by these passages like this. They've read Isaiah 63, where it talks about he shall trample people to death in the winepress of the fury of his wrath. And they said, how could a loving Jesus do that? Look around you today, at just at all the people promoting pedophilia, all these sex change operations. What if they don't repent? What do they deserve? And I don't say this any great joy. Boy, they're going to get what's coming to them. No. That's going to be a tragic thing, but they're going to get what's coming to them. And he'll trample these people to death in righteousness and in fury. His eyes were as a flame of fire. That means he's passionate about this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is on display here. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. I can only guess that pertains to his deity, and we leave it there. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now what did we see just a few minutes ago? John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. First time the Word came as a little babe in a manger. This time the Word comes as a conquering king. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. A number of people have pointed out, you don't wear linen to a battle. 
So why are we all dressed in fine linen? Because Christ is doing the battling. It's been his fight all along. Just as Christ was the only person who could go on the cross and die for our sins. Next spring, if the Lord tarries, you'll hear these stories from places in Mexico, the Philippines, where they'll have mock crucifixions. They'll actually nail an individual to the cross. Well, that's a mockery. There's no need for that. That's pointless. Uh, that, so that's been done one time for all time. Out of his mouth, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. That means all of them. Of all the nations will unite under the Antichrist. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He will smite the nations, he will destroy their armies, and he will bring them under his control and his rule. The nations, by the way, were his construct. Genesis chapter 11, when God confused the tongues of Babel, those families became the first nations in the earth. God created the nation state because if one became corrupt and tyrannical, he would go to another and maybe he wasn't so bad. Kind of, a, kind of a very early form of federalism, if you will. But what happened, what's happening now? All the nations being united in preparation for the reign of the Antichrist. And it will be a, the ultimate in tyranny and deception. <clears throat> and this is when finally the true Christ has to come and set things straight. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, notice the all caps, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You think back to Exodus chapter 3, I believe it is, when Christ told Moses, I am that I am. That phrase was in all caps as well. Total deity here. Jesus Christ, the one that sets up kings, he brings them down. Acts 17 tells us of that. He changes the boundaries of the nations over the centuries. As they rise, they prosper, they become corrupt, they falter, and they finally fail. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Recently there's been a story in the news here in Missouri of these black vultures. And they say they'll attack even calves, kill them and eat them, that sort of thing. You know, several that sit on a calf. That's nothing to what's going to happen here. All the fowls of the air are going to come to the great cleanup party, as it were. Verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that set on the horse and against his army. They mean to wage war on us. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and, these, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. This is how we know the beast and false prophet are people. They're not political systems. They're not computers or anything of that sort. They're people, but evil people, who give themselves over to demons and finally even Satan himself. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And they'll still be there. We're going to see that in a minute. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We'll look back at verse 18, the flesh of kings, political rulers, uh, the flesh of captains. Why does it say captains here? Why not admirals? Why not generals? I think it refers to what we used to call captains of industry. Remember that term, captain of industry? What do we have today? Captains of industry. What are they doing? They're giving themselves over to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We just saw about, what, six people sacrificed on that altar last week up here in the North Atlantic, just the first of many. 
so on and so forth I can go. And these men have given themselves over to Satan himself, anything to make a buck, so to speak. But they'll all be given over to be trampled and destroyed under the wrath of God himself. I want to look just briefly at uh, Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. After Christ reigns for a thousand years, a thousand years of peace and prosperity unlike anything this world has seen. This world will be perfect, be restored to its original pre-flood condition, perfect climate from pole to pole, perfect peace, no war. Uh, men will, will beat their plowshares into, beat their swords into plowshares. Yet when those thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. You see, when Christ takes over this earth, most of its inhabitants will have died during the tribulation period. Many more will be slain at the battle of Armageddon, leaving a comparatively small number of people to repopulate the earth. But they'll have a thousand years to do it. A perfect earth, perfect from pole to pole, even places like Greenland and Antarctica that are in, in, uh, uninhabitable today will be inhabitable then. The deserts will bloom, like the, even out to the southwest maybe. You've seen the Sonoran Desert. You've seen the Mojave Desert. Uh, those places will bloom and be green like a way we can scarcely imagine. And the earth's population will swell into the billions, maybe even tens of billions. But many of them will be unsaved. They'll be rebellious because Christ rules with a rod of iron. They cannot express their wickedness. And this is why Satan is loosed at the end of the thousand years. He'll gather up the biggest army of ingrates you've ever seen. People have had it perfect for all their lives. People have a perfect historical record of what happened and why. 7,000 years of human history. Uh, 7,000 years of how basically man and the devil made a mess out of this thing and nearly destroyed it. How Christ finally had to come and personally, physically intervene to save this world from itself, save mankind from himself. But after all these perf this perfect world, imagine it, a world where nobody needs a gun or a knife to defend themselves. A world where you don't have to worry about crime at night. A world where you could leave your keys in the car. You know, people used to do that, leave the keys in the car because you might lose them. You wouldn't dare do that today, would you? You'd lose the car. <laughs> you lose the keys and the car. But the time will come when that won't be an issue. And everybody will worship Christ. Isaiah tells us that every man shall live of, shall eat of his own orchard, and, and, another shall not, and one shall not build, and another inhabit. Every man will live in his own house. I think it will be a rural setting, maybe small town, but no big cities. Uh, no hundred-story urban archaeologies, none of that. Men, men were not meant to live that way. And yet the first chance they get, they'll go, when Satan is loosed for a little season, they'll rally to Satan. Apparently many billions of them will do that. And Satan, verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints round about the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Before there's even a battle, they'll all be incinerated. Because, and this will be the biggest bunch of ingrates ever war, because they raised their hand against God, against the one person, their best friend. You know, God is one of two things. He's your best friend or your worst enemy. One of the two. Verse 10 of Revelation 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are. We saw just previously they were cast into the lake of fire. They're still there. Their physical bodies no doubt were incinerated on impact, but their souls are still there. You see, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. 
So whenever you die, the real you goes on living. This body will quit functioning someday, but you'll go on living. So the beast and false prophet are there, and it says of Satan shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Somebody said you can run, but you can't hide. You can run from God, but you can't hide from him. On that day on the great white throne, and all who are lost stand to be judged, everybody will be there. No one will sleep in that Sunday, or go to the lake, or go shopping at the mall. Verse 12, Revelation 20, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. Everything all the, all the wicked dead, the unsaved dead have done, are recorded in these books. An accurate, an absolutely accurate record. Somebody once rather remarked that the Bible is full of lies. It accurately records the lies of men and devils. That first lie, yea, hath God said, that was a lie, but it's accurately recorded. Every wicked deed that unsaved people have done will be in these books. No one's going to hack this or steal it or anything else. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. If there's some famous person dying, what do they do? Have their ashes scattered over the ocean? They don't accomplish anything. God's going to resurrect every person that died at sea. He's going to resurrect every person that drowned in Noah's flood. All those ships that sank at sea, think of all the naval battles we've fought down over the years. Those battles fought in World War II. What did a lot of people do? They died at sea. If they died lost, God will resurrect their body. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Somebody once said one time he didn't want God's mercy, he just wanted God's justice. This is God's justice here. Now you better think again about that one too. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God's a very accurate bookkeeper. Nobody's going to get into heaven illegally. I think some people have that idea. If you can get into America illegally, you can get into heaven illegally. No. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of order and rules. And those rules are just right. But there will finally come a time, I want to close with this. Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Today the sea separates us. But there will be no separation in that world to come for the believer. I believe that new earth will be a total landmass from pole to pole. It will be green. It will be lush. It will be verdant. It will be beautiful in a way we can't even imagine. And I, John, saw the holy city. No, it says the holy city. Our city's holy today. No, they're anything but holy. You know who founded the first city? It was Cain. The first murderer founded the first city. And to this day, do you know what the number one crime statistic we worry about in any city? The murder rate. How many people were murdered in Springfield last year? How many people were murdered in Springfield this year? That sort of thing. But there won't be any murder in this city. This will be the holy city. No crime, no violence, no sin there. The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know somebody who lives in New York City or St. Louis and they like and they and their city slickers? Tell them that there's a better city to move to someday. A city with no crime, no violence. If they love living in the city, this will be a city to live in. 
Even us country folks will love living in that city. For in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I should have told you so. I don't understand why so many people fall all over themselves trying to tell you that heaven's going to be Motel 6. We always have rooms or apartments or something. No, we have mansions. Our Father promised us a mansion. Don't you want a mansion? A nice mansion full of things you would like and love? An inventory being broken into? Well, yeah, we're going to live in a mansion someday. And I heard a voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. There we go. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And I think this comes after the great white throne judgment. And finally, it will be the time there will be no more tears. There shall be no more te death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Does anybody enjoy pain? Some of you know I had a kidney stone about a month ago. Well, that was no fun. Others of you have had other illnesses. Maybe you've had a broken bone at some time. It didn't feel good, did it? We're going to a place with no kidney stones, a place with no broken bones, a place with no cystic fibrosis, a place with no cancer, an old place with all these horrible things that plague us. They'll pass away. Even death itself will die someday. Can you imagine what that's going to be like, a place with no death? And I think even the memory of these things will finally pass away. I don't think we're, we're going to be sitting around heaven 2,000 years from today debating who really won the 2020 election. It won't, it won't matter. It won't mean a thing. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Who sits on the throne here? Let's get it right, Jesus Christ. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Remember earlier his name was Faithful and True, our Redeemer. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. Today we might say the A to Z, Alpha and Omega, the beginning, ending letters of the Greek alphabet. And he still says, I am. It's never I was or I will be. It's always I am. The beginning and the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Remember what he told the woman at the well, John chapter 4, of that water he gave that you, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Because that dear woman came to be saved. And she went and told everybody, is, this, is not this the Messiah? Well, he knows all the things that I did. He knew all about her five husbands and the one guy she was just sleeping with. He knew all about that. He knew all of that, yet he saved her anyway and forgave her. We'll meet her in heaven someday. Looking forward to that. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now, some people want to turn this into a stick. You know, you better overcome by yourself. No, no, no. You overcome through the power of Christ, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. A lost person can't overcome. A lost person can't do enough good works to get saved. No, but yea, rather, he that overcometh, that is, call on Christ as his Lord and Savior, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But notice verse 8, we'll have to close with that. But the fearful and unbelieving. Did you ever somebody say, I'm afraid to get saved? People might make fun of me. They might, I might lose a promotion at work. They might unfriend me on Facebook. You ever hear things like that? Well, what does it say about people like that? But the fearful and unbelieving. And notice if you're afraid to believe, everything else wrong flows from that. And the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, those who do just that, who commit murder, who whoremongers, people who conduct sex outside of marriage, and sorcerers, and sorcerers can include, can include drug abuse as well. As you've heard, you know, the root word for pharmakia can give you either drugs, 
I'll give you witchcraft. And we saw this big come, come on big in the 60s with the counterculture. That's what they were into. And we've not recovered since then and never will. Indeed, many men will go into the tribulation period with their sorceries and their idolatries and finally die for it. And sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. That one cuts close to home on everybody, don't it? All liars. What's an idolater? Does somebody worship some ugly statue? Not necessarily. Some people worship their car, their job, their career. No, an idolatry is just putting something between you and Christ. Yet what does Christ say of all idolaters and all liars? Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Doesn't say was, but is. We'll have to close here for now. Is the second death. That's an ongoing death. Dying without being dead. Suffering without ever, burning without ever burning up. That's why we're commanded to go out and bring people to the Lord while we can today. For salvation is here and now. Not, not anything you get done in the, in, the, in the life to come. There's no purgatory, no limbo, no other place you can go to straighten things out after you die. It's here and now. That's why Christ said today is the day of salvation. And Christ calls on all men everywhere to repent. I want to thank you so much for your time and attention this morning. Hopefully God could use this to bless you and make you a better Christian. Uh, Zach, you want to dismiss us in prayer? Father, I just want to thank you for allowing us all to arrive here safely and spend time with you in the house to give us a lesson. And I pray on you, Father, that we can think about this and pray over it and come to you with the knowledge you've given us and know how to better use your gifts to us that you've given us. Uh, I pray that you